nothing will ever be good enough, and I eventually will have so much self-pity, such a discontentment with life that the only thing that seemed to be able to believe that would be the delusional idea. Mental health and addiction are largely misunderstood. We often struggle in silence, but there is hope for a better life. I'm Trevor Steinhauser, and this is Stigmatized. Hey, everybody. Today's going to be a little bit different. We're going to protect the privacy since there's some names mentioned. Uh, we're going to bleep them out. We haven't done that yet. So just want everybody to to know what's going on and not be shocked when they hear it. So I just wanted to uh, let you know before we fire this episode out. Enjoy. Okay, everybody. I am uh, super excited today. I got a buddy of, I was just doing the math, about 30 years. We met when we were about 12. Uh, Danny Mangalabnan, thanks for being here. You're welcome. <laughs> nice. Uh, I'll start off with a story. So, one of the first seventh grade, we started hanging out. One of the first times that we did anything, you came over to my house to play basketball, and um, we got in, we were sizing each other up. I guess I didn't realize who <laughs> I was dealing with, but. <laughs> And I think it's it, it, something along the lines of we, we started arguing about something, and I think I said something like, "Dude, if you know if you don't like it, I'll, I'll, I'm just gonna whip your ass." <laughs> and I think before the word "ass" got out of my mouth, you hit me right in the face, punched me right in the face, and then went out and schooled me on the basketball court. So I think I learned on pretty pretty quick that uh, my boy is. Uh, you do you play basketball at all anymore? No, I can't even play 31 anymore. Really? Yeah, high blood pressure. Really? I mean, I can play, but I can't just don't have the wind. Yeah. I mean, I'll try. I stick to golf. Yeah. About the only thing I'm capable of. Well, um, I'm excited about this. Um, Like I said, we've been uh, boys for a long time, kind of gone in and out. But uh, let's – we – end up going to school in the same in the same city but um let's just go back and and talk about uh your life and starting in childhood and just kind of how things you know how did they get to be where where they went and and we'll talk about the bad stuff the good stuff and everything that you're doing now um well so i grew up in bellevue kentucky well i, b- I was born in california long beach california and, I knew that. Yeah, my dad was in, in the Marines. And um, then I guess we moved when I was like two to Bellevue. And then I grew up there till like I was like 11. And uh, I don't know. I was always, uh, my, my family was really, really amazing Christian people. Like crazy good, like the real deal. Not just people that go to church on Sunday. Like they really believed in like living by the Bible and they didn't cuss and drink and not that that you know you're not a Christian if you don't do that but I'm just saying you know they were by the book yeah super um, uh, you know the real thing or whatever and you know so like I went to church every week or whatever on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and um, but my my sisters were good and you know and I mean. Looking back, after doing a lot of, you know, inventory and things like that, things change, you know, once you kind of take responsibility and take an honest look at things. Um, 
my dad was super disciplinarian guy. My mom was super uh, felt sorry for me. It was always, you know, they were kind of always in conflict because of me. And um, I just remember being little, like I had like the same three best friends in my neighborhood, right? Like we would hang out like every single day. And a couple of things I remember from that time is they were all Catholic. And like I was like, uh, you know, uh, real Christian or whatever. So like I was, I just thought our family was so boring and weird. Uh, and like I wanted to be Catholic so bad. It was crazy. Like because they all like drank beer and smoked cigarettes and had fish fries and played cards. And like I just, it made me feel super like, you know, out of place or whatever. And then inherently it's just something about me. Like I just inside felt like, I mean, we hang out every single day, all of us. And, like, I just felt like they were all closer with each other than I was with them. You know, like, they were closer friends. There was always, like, an inadequacy type of thing, you know, going on or whatever. Um, when I Just because of the difference of religion? Uh, no, I think that has a lot more to do with my alcoholism now that I know it. Okay. But gotcha. that religion thing was just another one of those things that kind of, you know, caused that to manifest. That made me – because, you know, some ways you are different. You know, it's not just in your head. Like some ways you really are different. And so not that anybody ever treated me different because I was badder than them kids. Like I was bad. You know what I mean? I was just always bad. Like it just seemed like every time that there was an option to do right or wrong, I just always did the wrong thing like all the time. And I'm not exactly sure uh, exactly where that came from besides maybe just my, you know, the selfishness, uh, you know, type of deal, the self-centeredness, the dishonesty, whatever. Um, do, do you think it was the um... – had partly to do with just church every Sunday, twice a day, and discipline city. I mean, do you think it was? Uh, a- no, because I really, when I look back on it, there's, I was like always out of control. Like they could never control me. So like, like there wasn't like they would stick to things. You know what I mean? Because um, I would be so bad that they wouldn't just, they would just not be worth sticking to. Uh, like, like growing like, up. Like discipline and Yeah, like they and- would tell me, like they've shared with me, like when I was little, like we, if we went out to eat and I started crying, it was just like, or whatever, like being bad. You know what I mean? Like they just, I don't know. I, you know, I really don't really know. Uh, I don't really remember a lot of my childhood in all honesty. I don't know if it's, you know, obviously it's probably because of the drugs or whatever, but um, what I do remember is, like being young and my parents, they were like baby boomers or whatever. And so they were always striving. Like they came from nothing. So they were all, especially my dad, they were always striving to like really succeed and make money and provide for us and change our life. And like, I can remember being little and thinking like they weren't home yet. And like thinking something happened to them because they were gone. And I didn't understand why they weren't there. And like being whatever. I can remember that. That is something I can remember. Scared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like thinking like where they at, what's wrong something's happened to them looking out my window type stuff right. in my room um and then i also think about because they were working so much like i always ran around i just didn't it's not that their fault you know what i mean you know it's a matter of they're doing the best that they can and there's other kids that went through exactly what i went through and they didn't react like me so that's what you understand as a result of you know some work um that you do on your own self um but at that time i didn't so i thought that meant they didn't care. They weren't really ever at my sports, and I liked sports, and I wasn't really, really good at sports, so I kind of really needed support at the sports because I didn't, like, super excel or anything. 
Um, but it did make me feel, uh, you know, something that made me feel neglected and not cared about. Um, you know, but like I said, looking back on it now, you know, people are only doing that. They didn't have a mom and dad. I mean, my dad had a great a drunk for a grandma. His dad gave him up for adoption, right, um, to another guy that my gra- other gra- my grandma remarried. My mom grew up in a foster home. I mean, they didn't even have, you know, any idea what platform to come off of. So they were just doing the best that they could. I didn't know that then. I know that now. Sure. You know, as a result of, I guess, just maturity or whatever. Um, but uh, a lot of those are things I can remember. And But mainly it's the thing of just kind of doing what I wanted um, without anybody really, you know, I can remember being out late at night as a little kid, like it's dark and stuff and I'm just running around skateboarding and stuff. You know what I mean? Where, you know, whatever. So I'm not sure if that has absolutely anything to do with anything. Uh, I wouldn't say that I was spoiled in the sense that I got whatever I wanted, but I was spoiled in the sense that I really didn't get really reprimanded and, penalized for bad things and disciplined a lot you know unless it was extreme and my dad would like spank me and all that right you know where did you fall in the in the order of siblings the baby like we went to a psychologist family therapy and stuff when i was little and they said i had king baby syndrome i'm sure they said that to you too so like and i'm already i mean everything makes a lot more sense now if I truly believe that I suffer from mental illness and alcoholism is mental illness, it's not, I like to shoot dope and drink a lot. Right. Right. I mean, I do, I did when it gave me relief from it, but then it became something that just gave me more pain and suffering. So, um, then once that happened, I started to have to find out what the real problem was. Right. You know what I mean? And then once that happened, I realized that, you know, that stuff may be true, what I'm saying, what the psychologist said, but the truth is, is if I was really had this thing going on in me, that my grandma had, that my uncle has, that's sitting in prison right now, right? I mean, this stuff is going on. You know what I mean? There's too many different truths about it that, you know, aren't coincidental. The genetics don't lie. Right. And then, um, you know, so the deal was is, you know, I don't really look at the drinking and the drugs. I look at the selfishness and the self-centered thinking that comes with the mind of the person that has alcoholism, you know? And that was there with me long before I was 11 years old and I took a drink, you know? So, like... And that was always there then, which caused me massive problems. Like the things that I did, the types of decisions that I made, and with no real thinking about any kind of consequences, I was always suffering. Like lack of power was my problem long before I drank. I was always not able to seem to do the right thing. And I was suffering consequences due to that self-will, you know. And um, like so by the time I got to Highlands, the reason that I even moved to Fort Thomas was because I got kicked out of Bellevue. And then I got kicked out of two private schools in a year after that. At, at 11. Before that. Yeah, no, before that. Because oh. I moved to Fort Thomas when I was 11. Okay. Yeah, so. Um, just just fighting and. No, just not doing anything. Just not, not a lot of attention seeking in class. Right. Not paying any attention, just being a problem. Right. You know, and so just being a problem. And then. You know, so uh, they th- I guess they just thought that, you know, they probably they already wanted to move to Fort Thomas, I'm sure, like every family in the area would want to if they could. And then they thought it would be better for me, whatever. And then I think for a minute it kind of was, like when I was hanging out with you and I first got there and like dating all those pretty girls and uh, playing sports. And then what happened was it just kind of gets old. You know what I mean? Like trying to do that took so much effort. You know, it just took way too much effort, and it just seemed like 
doing wrong just didn't take much effort. And, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly all the psychology behind it. You know, right. I just know my experience. And, um, you know, for a while there, it was the whole idea of a new opportunity, I think, was super motivational, like a new chance or whatever. But then once I got comfortable, you know, I just started kind of getting in trouble again. And I was just like, dude, this is way too much work, all this stuff. I'd just rather, <laughs> you right. know, you know, whatever. So... I mean, I don't know, but then, uh, you know, just once the drinking started, you know, and then you find a group of people to get in trouble with, I mean, cause it was hard, like for Thomas, you know what I mean? For a person with as much self, self-centeredness as I have, it's not really the ideal place to not be doing your schoolwork. Cause even the kids that do party and stuff do schoolwork. Right. You know, so when I turned crackhead, that was super insecure, right? Like super like, oh my gosh, you know what I mean? Because I was already like not feeling good about myself already. And now I'm really making a lot of legitimate decisions that makes people like they really didn't want me around. Like, and that doesn't feel good, obviously, you know. And, and when did, when, when did, when would you just say the, you kind of gave up on the charade? I mean, like freshman uh, freshman year? I mean, did it last? A- I don't even know. I just know that, um, I guess I think that really a part of it may be this, is like once I got there and then everybody was really good at sports and stuff like that, and then even at Bellevue, I could like, I could like do nothing and still pass because academically there was really, there was nothing, you know, but once you get to there, you really find out, you know what I mean? Like, dang like you need you have to be educated and if you weren't raised with this type of educational background then you're about to be separated unless you work really hard then we've already determined that i wasn't that person so i wasn't really willing to do that and so then school work and then was, i think it's a matter of i think that another real uh classic uh trait of alcoholism is a very extreme thinking so you know like it's either all or nothing so did like, you feel it now now that's that's interesting because i talk about that all the time because ever since i was little it was all or nothing with me. Yeah, you're right. Like, you know, whatever feels good. I mean, did you did you feel that? I mean, did you feel that coming on? I mean, as a kid, was it always, not necessarily, I mean, even before substances. I mean, just kind of. I really don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know. Um, I mean, before that, I just, I mean, I just, I don't know what was wrong with me besides what we just talked about. Right. But obviously having no idea, um, you know, but I guess if I would have like excelled academically and with sports and worked harder and got better and then found acceptance from the plenty of people that we knew that could have given me acceptance if I would work hard, which I guess is probably just normal life for people that are willing to work hard. And but then if you're not, then you suffer the mental and emotional, you know, instability or uncomfortableness right. of that that causes you to get into a different category of people so then i started hanging out with different people and that was always i won't say i never really felt like i was less than because uh, i always kind of thought i was cool i mean for whatever reason i was kind of thought whatever you know girls like me um i always seemed to have friends even though inside i felt like whatever you know what i mean uh, but then once that Self-esteem, started, you're talking y- about? yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was false or what it was, but then up there, I started really feeling super like, you know, uncomfortable, like super like loser <laughs> type of whatever you would call it. I, mean, I don't know exactly what the word is to describe it, but 
Uh, so it was just kind of like, I think that's when things took off. Like I'm talking about inside, um, that made me need the relief from something. So then once that, you know, you know what I mean? And I mean, I, I would really feel that close to, even though I kind of hung out with them a lot. And then these dudes were all people that were coming from outside of Fort Thomas that are now in Fort Thomas. And so then we had something in common. So where I've starting to be separated from you guys like you guys were too good for me because you all grew up in Fort Thomas together you knew each other it's not the easiest place to do that even though I would have never admitted that or even been consciously aware of that then but I'm saying even for a tough guy like me like that was something that weighs on you that makes you react self-destructively if you have a bunch of group of people that that's what you do you know and then then i think that once you start to set an image then you just kind of live that stuff out and then i just went crazy and then but it's also hard at 13 14 15 to to even identify and talk about your feelings yeah, 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 right. that, that you would even yeah, yeah. like no, you said even no. try and talk about it right and i had to be taught everything so uh you know, but once really, I guess the drinking started, it was just like. Psh. Tried everything. Yeah, it was over for me. I just was like, I can, I don't, I don't got to feel bad about nothing about myself. I just, you know, just distract myself away with all these chemicals, whatever it is, you know. And then I guess I kind of started hanging out with older people a little bit, a lot. Because no one my age, even though they, they did the stuff I did, they didn't do it the way I did it. So I wanted to hang out with the people that wanted to do it as much as me, and that was older people, you know. So then I was hanging out with people that were like a couple years older than us, you know what I mean? And then I felt super insecure around them because I'm like a little kid hanging out with older people, you know what I mean? Like, So you had it coming from all angles. Yeah, 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 bad, you know what I mean? And it really, I mean, because I know, like I know when I look back on things I did, I mean, there's a lot of things I don't really remember. I'm a really good person now. I'm talking about character-wise. I'm talking about the way I do things. Now, if I drink, I'm back to the piece of shit, right? But, you know, I was just like a punk person. I don't even really know. I mean, I don't really, you know. Um, but I wasn't. I would say there was not a lot of things that I did that would make you want to be around me because I was a taker. You know what I mean? If you knew I was coming around, there was people like those guys that I hung out with. I didn't want to be around them, even though people thought they were cool. Even in my world, like, if they came around, I'm like, oh, man. And I feel like that's the way that a lot of people are that our friends was with me. They didn't trust me. Like, I was not trustworthy because I'll steal from you or something bad is going to happen. And that's what I think, you know. And so that doesn't feel good. While may not care or deep down they may or they may have then, I did care even if I didn't share that I did, you know. So then that kind of perpetuated everything too. But once I used anyway, none of that stuff even mattered because I could have cared less about what anybody thought, and that's why I used. Right. You know? So what? So let's let's continue through high school. What? What? And I don't even know when you, it it kind of se- we separated and and you know you went where where you went. Uh. Well, I think it's because I failed. <laughs> That was the deal, right? And that was super crazy, right? Because our English teacher, if you didn't pass English, you got held back, right? And so that was my fourth period. That was after lunch, and that's where we smoked joints. You know what I mean? So every single time I would come back to class, even though, I mean, I don't know if I would have passed, but that definitely failed me. And then if you, I think one time I went to summer school and I passed, right? So like, 
but then that's what caused it. You know what I mean? And once that happened, it's like over for a guy like me. I'm so humiliated, right? You know what I mean? Like, uh, and then I'm still trying to hang out with people that are in my grade and all. I'm still feeling so crazy, insecure, and inadequate. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I can't even really remember. It's been a long time since I've talked about it. I can't remember even really having that many thoughts about it, conscious thoughts. But I know that I felt a certain type of way. And I had never felt anything like that before, even though I was a troublemaker and all kinds of stuff. Like, never did I really ever, you know, I don't know, you know suffer that much for that. And then once I, I failed, and then I failed again. I mean, I can't remember exactly what happened, so then I just quit school. And it was because I kept failing English, because I couldn't stop smoking weed at that time. It was the same thing two years in a row. And, uh, I mean, like, at least I think I did. I don't even remember. That's how long ago it's been and drugs and all that. Right. But I'm thinking that I did. I know that I failed once, and I think I failed twice, English. Um, but, I mean, by the end, I was not even picking up a pencil in the school or anything. You know what I mean? So it just doesn't even matter. I was just going there because my parents made me go to school. Right. So I just wasn't a good student. I didn't care about that. I had no value in that. You know what I mean? I was just, I so, when, so when you quit, where did – uh well i mean i guess i was kind of slowly hanging out with a lot of people in like newport you know what i mean that was like my big thing and then i knew a lot of people around areas where most fort thomas kids don't really hang out outside of fort thomas well i did yeah so i knew a lot of people a lot of places in like ludlow and like um campbell county and just everywhere i knew a lot of people everywhere and so uh but really newport mainly um because that was a lot of the stuff I was doing. I mean, I started smoking crack when I was like the middle of 15 years old. Before I was 16, I was smoking crack. You know what I mean? So like, and then I remember like I was doing that with Fort Thomas people and I'll never forget that. Um, you know, and so like I was hanging out with older people doing stuff I wanted to do. And so then I got into some things that, I mean, I liked, but I didn't know I was going to get into it. You know what I mean? I mean, it wasn't like I was hanging out with them because I thought they were cool and I was cool because I was hanging out with them. I was hanging out with them because they were doing things that I wanted to get involved in. You know what I mean? And the kids my age were definitely not getting involved in those things. So did you, so did your parents think that you were going to school or like, what? what, No, 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 I went. Then when I quit, they let me. Like I'm saying, they were like, I was so gone by then. You know what I mean? Like by the time I quit, they were like, well, I got kicked out. So the principal kicked me out. I can't even remember everything. Right. But he was like, you can't stay here. And I wasn't going to like go to another school and I didn't want to be at this school. So at that point, I was like, I'm done, you know. And then, uh, I mean, at that point, I mean, you know. And, and then it just and yeah, it just it continued. Yeah, yeah. Then I got a lot more. Uh, I mean, I was um, always a person, you know, that would always talk people out of their money and rip them off and stuff like that with drugs, but I never really that criminal of stuff. I mean, I was always a person that stole. And if I wanted something, I just took it and manipulate, lied, and all that. I was just a part of really who I was, I guess, all my life as far as I can remember. I mean, I can remember being like eight or nine years old and going to Kroger and like stealing one of those neon green construction transformers, and then I had the whole set. Yeah. Right? Because I stole the whole set. You're right? Because, like, if my parents, whatever. I mean, I don't know. So, but once that happened, I guess, and I started getting involved with some different people, I mean, I wouldn't say, like, I was, like, you know, some big, you know, whatever, convict or something. But I just started doing more criminal stuff. And um, a lot of it's just, I don't know. By the time I was 17, 
But there were people that I was staying in connection with, like the, even in Fort Thomas. Like, even though it wasn't you guys, you know, there was other people that you did hang out. It was like, especially like, right? Like, so I hung out with her all the time. She would do everything I did. You know what I mean? I'm talking about the drugs and everything. She would go where I want, like, you know, down to Newport and all kinds of stuff. You know, and so, you know, um, you know, but by the time I was like 17, I, I got put in one treatment in Jewish hospital. It was the first place I went, rehab. How old? I think I was between 15 and 16. Okay. And then I ended up getting kicked out of there. But that's where I went to my first AA meeting was in that place. Um, and that was right up here downtown or something like that, somewhere right over here. And then I ended up getting in trouble and kicked out of there. And then I was still staying with my family or whatever. And then um, when I was 17, which would have been my senior year, uh, I was in rehab the whole year. If you remember, I don't remember. But I was in rehab the whole year, like in a lockdown place. Where? Uh, up in Milford, kids helping kids. The entire, so yeah, yeah, long yeah, yeah. term. Yeah, yeah, 13 months. And how, and how did that? go uh that's where my life started to change i mean they started telling me what was wrong with me you know and then i was already pretty badly messed up i mean even at 17 already i mean i was the kid that was always stealing from my parents all the time you know what i mean so if nothing else if i wasn't stealing from people i was stealing from them all the time i'm talking about checks and i would sell their stuff in their house and you know just all kinds of crazy stuff um but then i went up there and I was kind of introduced to the 12 steps. Of, so one of my parents said, like, well, you can't, we're kicking you out if you don't go. And then I was already feeling really bad about how I was living. And then it seemed like there was some sort of an option of maybe I could change. I don't really remember exactly what I was thinking, but right. I was tired already. And, um, and so I went there and then um, I can remember um, at 17 years old, um, so like I was raised, you know, with the Christian thing and with God, um, but I never ever had my own relationship with God. I just believed what I was raised to be believe because that's what I was raised to believe. Uh, didn't really have a relationship or know really anything about it, even though I went to Sunday school all my life and was taught about stuff and stories and stuff like that, you know, but I didn't really have any idea what having a relationship with God was about. And then um, when I was 17, I remember I was just got there. And when you there, it's kind of a bunch of that rehab was a full of a bunch of like really rich kids. Um, like the, they would literally if you were there in the second phase, you would take new people that got there back to your home, their parents home. Like and so like I went to a lot of really nice houses all over Ohio and, and in Kentucky, but mainly Ohio. And um, so you would go back to people's houses at night. So, and eat good, you know what I mean? It wasn't like normal crappy rehab, you know right. what I mean? <laughs> so, um, but it was definitely something super different than anything else. Um, and I remember going there that night and being like, you know, dude, I don't know if I'm talking to myself right now, but I start praying. Like, I think it was probably the first prayer, first genuine prayer I ever said in my life at 17. I was like, you know, I'm not sure if you're real or if I'm talking to myself right now, you know, but. If you are, there's no way that a person like me will ever make it through something this difficult without your help, you know. So I just pray that you'll help me from really my parents' sake, really, because they were really good people, and I really was not a good kid, and they raised me better than anyone probably much I knew. No matter if somebody had a lot of money or they didn't have a lot of money, character-wise, my family was probably, like, the most morally sound people I knew, really. 
you know, and, um, and so like from there, I ended up making it through that place. And I really attribute that to that prayer. Cause like, I wish I would have been like, I wish I, God keep me sober the rest of my life, but that right. is, I should have been more specific, you know, but I ended up getting through that program. And right when I got out, I remember, uh, like right when I got out, uh, I was having a party. Cause me now, I think I might've saw you at that party. I Very think possible. you were there. Very possible. Yeah. Well, because the deal was, is I just got out and I was just starting to drink again, but I wasn't a crackhead anymore. Now I was just drinking like everybody else. And you, and you kind of knew, well, knew coming out of there that drugs was the thing, but alcohol was probably yeah, not. Right, exactly. Yeah, sure. So I was like, I have a problem with drugs. I don't even like drinking. So, I mean, I can't really drink. I get really drunk when I drink, but I really don't enjoy drinking like I do drugs. And I certainly don't do the things for drinking that I do for drugs, like steal from people and all kinds of bad stuff. So, you know, so that was kind of like my first experiment, you know what I mean, uh, with trying to control it. And um, and I remember, I'll never forget it, you know, because there was a lot of people that were like, you know, knew that I was in that rehab and all that. And they were like, I'd seen how much I changed in that period of time. Um, and then I was drinking. And I remember, I'll never forget it. Because uh, I ate some mushrooms, too, that night, right? So I ate some mushrooms at the party, and everybody was in there, and then was in there with me, and he was looking at me, and I was standing there sitting on the counter, and he was talking to me, and he said, and he always called me Dan for whatever reason. I don't know why he called me Dan. I think you called me Dan, too. I don't know. But anyway, uh, he was like, Dan, you were doing so good. <laughs> And I remember I was like, yeah! and then that was, I was dating at the time. And then what happened was then right after that party, me and like, I don't know, we were in my car and then we had the girls in her car and then we went down to the gorge and that's when I went crazy and then blacked out drunk. And I mean, and it was on. And then yeah. once that happened, it was like, yeah, cat's out of the bag. I can't hang out with you guys anymore. You know what I mean? I need to go be with the, you know, degenerates. You know, so I was just like, I'm done. And then in you know, the next chapter, you know, and then it, uh, you know, a whole different phase of drug addiction, shooting cocaine and, you know. So, so okay, so let's talk about that. So where, where, you know, once we got to 20 or. I was, I was 19 then. I was 19 when I started shooting cocaine and that's when that happened. Everything I kind of just told you about. Because I was in the place till I was 18, and then I was actually there for a lot of like seven or nine months of my 18th year, my 18th year or whatever life. And uh, and so after that, that's when, you know what I mean, I started doing different things and hooked up with some different people and started doing some things. And, you know, alcoholism progressed to a different level. And then, um, you know, it's basically I just needed more relief. That's all it comes down to. You know, and so you need more relief. You got to do, you know. And it just became more more extreme. And then when did when did like legal troubles and? Uh, so that didn't really start. Like real stuff didn't happen until after, because like right after that. Uh, so I was I actually was like I was at this point like I wasn't a guy that anybody would let stay at their house because like I would steal your stuff, just a really bad person, and um, I was staying in my car. 
I don't remember ever really sleeping in my car, but all my clothes were in my car. And then my friend, my, well, my, my one of my real close friends at the time from the rehab, he's the one I started shooting the cocaine with. And he had like a Mitsubishi Eclipse. It was a real nice car at that time. And so he had a nicer car than me. So, you know, we just drove his all the time. Well, I ended up robbing a friend of mine for like 800 bucks. And I parked my car for like two weeks because I kept it there for like a week. And I, I parked it like two blocks from his house, the dude that I robbed for 800 bucks and uh he ended up catching my car on fire like it blew my car up my car got blown up and all my clothes were ashes and everything it was nuts because i that night at the gorge i had rolled my car when i went out there blacked out and went crazy me and got into a fight and i was like spit on the in their faces and stuff you're not my friend and embarrassed myself in front of like embarrassed her and thought you know it was just crazy thinking you know total embarrassment you know humiliation and then i ended up flipping my car so you could tell it was my car because the floor like the frame of the car was like lopsided from that rolling the car that night and um so we went to the impound lot and i was tied at the time whatever and i was like dude i think that's my car because i went back to the people back in bellevue and i was like where's my car at it was here a week ago and they're like we don't know you might want to check the impound lot so i did and then it was burnt down to the coils and the seats and my clothes were ashes Fuck. and i was like damn but i mean i probably robbed him for more than that car was worth but that was my parents getting me the first car coming out of rehab you know piece of crap whatever you know i wasn't never i mean i look back on that now and i think well, I, I wasn't safe to buy me a car. You know what I mean? Right. Not that they don't love me enough to do something like that. It wasn't a good like, investment. Never could you ever do that. That would be a foolish thing to do. Um, you know, but then once that happened, you know, that's when I got introduced to AA for real because had been sober six months. And I thought, dude, he's the worst drunk I ever met. Like, there's something that happens. It's not, there's something that happens to his personality that makes him so different when he drinks that you know that he is has a problem with this, that, right. that it's doing something for him that it does not do for everyone else. Right. And he was the most likable guy in the world. Like, no one didn't like Talented. Right? Amazing, awesome, reserved, just, you know, humble, you know, and then he would drink and just this a whole other obnoxious personality. I just thought, he's old Pete's, you know what I mean? And he was sober six months. And I thought, Dude, that way, that's amazing. You know, I thought, you know, if he can be sober six months, like I heard he is, you know, maybe a guy like me might have a chance. I maybe, you know what I mean. And so, did it I, make you want to try? Oh no, I got sober. That's when I got the AA, and so I just you know, hooked up with, and so I just started doing whatever did, and, um, you know. I mean, I learned a lot of stuff about life in a short period of time, you know. Um, I don't know. I ended up staying sober almost two years uh, from 19 to 21. I can't remember exactly what, but uh, I was doing everything that they suggested, and the obsession to use was removed. I was totally content with, like, knowing what was wrong with me. I had a bunch of people that I identified with. They were encouraging me. They inspired me to, you know what I mean, make it through hard days. And, you know, I was learning how to work. And I had a license and insurance and a car and had a savings account, you know, stuff that I never had. You know right, what I mean? Right. And uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, with that stuff, it comes new aspects of life that you've never really dealt with. Like, 
I wasn't like a big relationship person because of the way I lived my life. I mean, I kind of always had a kind of had a girlfriend, but I never really like worked on anything. Right. It wasn't like I was working on stuff in a relationship. You know what I mean? Whatever. You know, whatever. You don't like what I do, just go away. Whatever. You know that type of thing. But now I was ended up hooking up with some church girl that I grew up with, and I didn't really like her. You know, like I said, I'm about to break up with her. She was from Villa Hills. I just really wasn't attracted to her, but I wanted to be a good person, and she was a Christian, and so I was kind of like trying to do good, and I thought that's just what I'm supposed to do. Is I didn't really like her that much. I slept with her friend, and that's how I, mean, I knew her, but I had really slept with her friend, and so that's kind of how we had a connection. She knew of me, and I knew her, seen her in church, but I never had a relationship with a girl, um, but I did mess with her friend. And so then, and one thing, I don't even know how it happened. Uh, I think maybe I just said you want to go out or something. I don't even know. Um, but anyway, I really wasn't that attractive. She wasn't really my type, uh, but I just went ahead, and I was going to try to look past that. You know what I mean? <laughs> try to look on the inside or right, something. You yeah. know, try to be not so in, in this In this new period of yeah, your yeah, life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Try to do something I've never done before. Yeah. And, um, uh, and you know, like the sexual stuff, you know what I mean? You know, when I'm drinking and I'm using, that's not that big of a deal. I don't really care. I'd have sex all the time, but I would. But I'm saying I didn't really, it wasn't such a powerful force in my life, you know, and now it was becoming that way, you know, and so... Because that was a vice that was available. Well, because um, the way I use, you don't have time to care about that. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> I'm to say it like that. Okay. I mean, I'm no, not one of these sense. guys that smokes gotcha. cracks and has sex. No, right. we're smoking crack. And if you want to, <laughs> whatever, smoke crack naked, I don't care. That's cool. But I'm smoking crack, <laughs> right? I'm not doing the two. <laughs> I got you. Yeah, I don't mean sense. to be so. You know, no, 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 no. I make It makes total sense. You know, but now I was actually having a relationship and trying to be a good boyfriend and i didn't really like her like that i was you know um i was I wasn't that attracted to her but i liked relationship you know um but i told her i said i think i'm gonna break up with her and then she ended up getting pregnant Oof. yeah 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 like right when i was about to do that and then like mm. i was like oh my gosh and then her family had tried to like get me to have come over and have dinner and talk about we were gonna get married and all i was like uh, yeah Okay, I don't know, bam. And now my son's 21 with her, and I've never been his dad the whole my whole life, his whole life, you know? And, um, you know, so that stuff's sad. But then I got out of that relationship, and then I got right into another relationship with a guy that I actually, I think, sponsored him, but I was, like, being real helpful to him and always at his house, and his sister was there, and she was real hot, and so I ended up going out with her, and then we hooked up. And then... I started learning about how powerful that is. You know what I mean? Because I don't know what it is about relationship stuff um, or that excitement that comes with someone new or anything like that when I'm attracted. We'll just talk about maybe. I mean, it's probably just sex. I mean, really, we're talking about getting just blown away by lust. Right. And uh, But I would have thought that we loved each other, whatever that is. Right. And we hung out all the time. And so I can't. I mean, all I know is anything that makes me feel good, that takes less work, I gravitate towards. 
That's right. the only way I can really describe that. And so a relationship is always a good thing for that. So like if I hook up with a girl, like if we like each other and then we kiss, we're sleeping together and then we'll probably move in soon or something like that. It's not like going to dating and let's get to know each other and see if we're making like, a good decision. It's or like that. anything. Just you know zero I mean? to a hundred. You know, so uh, I just started hanging out with her all the time and not going to meetings. And so then I learned that and that was, you know, like just because I'm, you know, sober, the reason that I'm able to stay sober and have, you know, be stable and mentally and emotionally and my life is getting better is because of the work that I'm doing, that I'm constantly doing. Well, if there's something that basically interferes with that work that's being done, then I start to suffer. And that's just like any other illness, mental illness or disease or anything. You know what I mean? You don't treat it. Then what happens is you start to suffer from whatever the, you know, symptoms are of untreated alcoholism in this case. And that's what happened. So all of a sudden, where I was completely full of hope, and then I wasn't. <laughs> you know, I stopped going to meetings, stopped helping people, and then the next thing I know, I'm starting to think, there's no way that I'm an alcoholic. I'm not even 21. That's impossible. That's insanity. You know, right. that's an insane thought. You know, it's not necessarily the obsession of alcoholism, but it is an insane thought. And that will always be with me till I die. I have a mind that tells me stuff that's not really true. So I have to do a lot of work in order to stay connected to what is true, you know. Which so is, it didn't take long to? Uh, I don't remember exactly how long it took, but I remember she would drink and she didn't drink, like get drunk, but she would drink stuff. And me and her went to Florida and I drank in Florida. I remember I drank in Florida and then I don't know what happened. I think I had a party. I was still living with my parents sober. And like I had a party at their house when they were out of town or something like that when I first you know, drank again. I don't remember. It got blurry that time. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, my basically the main lie was I'm not an alcoholic. I don't really even like drinking. <laughs> There's no way I can possibly be an alcoholic. I'm not 21. I don't really like drinking. I don't really like the buzz that comes from drinking alcohol. I will do it and I will black out, <laughs> but I really don't like it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I can't be. There's no. There's how, no how could you possibly man, be an alcoholic I if you can't. don't like drinking alcohol? Yeah. Right? No way. Right? And, um, and and you so, take that thought and you run with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I just didn't have any mental defense against it. Right. You know what I mean? Just like it says. And so that's, you know, what happens to me if I don't treat my alcoholism as I drink, you know. And so what happened was, but I had my thing was drugs is my problem. Like that was the big, big thing. Like I can drink. I can drink. Okay. But I just can't do drugs. And it was crazy because I just drank and I didn't really do drugs. I mean, I think I might have smoked some pot, but I didn't definitely do any hard drugs. Oh, dude, it was crazy. I mean, it was nuts. Uh, for a person that don't like drinking alcohol, I mean, I was blacked out like four days out of the seven. Like, I mean, it was nuts. Malnutrition, not eating food. I mean, it was nuts. It was just so crazy. I was going to jail. I would go to jail like two and three times a month. I mean, I would go in there with like one shoe on and stuff. You know what I mean? No shirt. You know, I mean. Just I booze. Yeah, I wouldn't even have any idea, like, what the heck was happening. Cops would come to my house all the time. I hooked up with this girl, and she was, like, a super enabler, comes from a very codependent family. And she liked drinking, but she really just liked smoking pot. And she would work every day, go to work every day. And I never had to work. And we, she would always get us an apartment, always keep the refrigerator with food in it and buy stuff. And then I would just hustle up stuff all day long. You know, whatever. I don't even remember. I mean, it was just such a blur that time. I mean, it was really gross. I mean, because, like, I'm a dirty drug addict when I use but, like, I'm a really dirty drunk. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, you know, so it's just not, like, anything like the kind of person I would want it to be. But 
But it proved to you pretty quick that you were. Oh, uh, yeah. Indeed. But, I mean, I'd be, you know, I mean. Were you still under this thought process that I'm just drinking because I don't want to use drugs and I'm not still not an alcoholic? I don't even know. I can't even remember because I can't even tell you what. I just know I wasn't doing any real hard stuff. Right. Um, and I can't tell you what happened, but I do remember, uh, you know, some a couple of stories that are just too gross to tell, really. Um, you know, that I'm just not going to tell this right. situation, uh, but about shooting dope again. And, um, and so I ended up doing drugs again. Like I started, I can't remember like what the felonies were or how they happened or anything. Um, but my twenties were really bad. Right. I mean, I probably spent six years in my twenties locked up. You know what I mean? So prison, camps, county jails, all over the place. I mean, just nuts. Long periods of time. Yeah, yeah. Like one time I did like 36 months. And um, I was always on paper, on parole or something. Like I was always under somebody's thumb. They were always making me do stuff. I never could do what they said. And so then I would use. It was just a lot of pressure. And I really wasn't taking care of myself anyway. And then I started, you know, um, shooting heroin well, actually, what I started doing was I started doing Oxycontins uh, a lot. And I was doing Oxycontins a lot, and everybody was doing them. And then the, the doctors got busted, and then somehow some genius just, you know, hit this area with higher heroin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And, and I just got caught, caught up in it. Um, I was never really uh, – I mean, I would, like, do heroin. I would do everything every day, though. I never would say, like, I have any specific thing. You know, I mean, there's certain things that I like more than others, but I don't care what you Whatever. give me. I just don't want to be sober. That's all I want to be. Okay. And so, like, I mean, I would, I mean, I've been dope sick on heroin, but I haven't been like, you know, I know a lot of people that they're just heroin junkies. And that's not really me. I mean, I will be that way, but I'll be doing a lot of other stuff also. And then really my saving grace is that God locks me up. <laughs> I mean, so whenever anything gets too bad, I end up getting incarcerated. I would get incarcerated. And um, I had another daughter with um, with the girl, and the daughter died at nine months old. Jeez. And what's crazy about that is, and this is when I start really realizing, like, um, the true nature of what's wrong with me, um, because I wasn't strung out. I mean, I was before she died, um, and like, you know, was the girl's name that I had the baby with, and she uh, would have to like, you know, basically um, uh, manipulate me to come to the hospital because she was at Children's. She was born with rare heart disease, and she had like three open heart surgeries before she died, you know what I mean? And like, really loved her, and like, I was strung out the whole time. Like, I did not care. I did not feel anything. I didn't think about anything. Uh, I remember one time I went to work and my prostitute cousin was staying with us. Um, and, um, but she was like a booster of like pain pills. And like the Juliana was the ba our baby's name. And she had like oxygen at home. The, like the doctors let us take her home for a period of time and like left her home with me. She had an oxygen tank and a mask and shit. Right. I mean, you know, whatever. And so home with this, you know, cousin of mine, that's, you know, whatever. And like, I, took Juliana in the car with the tank of gas and everything to go to these emergency rooms to boost pills and stuff. I mean, just Shit. crazy. You know what I mean? Um, you know, and then what happened was I got locked up and I was locked up for like six months and, um, uh, when she died. And so they gave me a furlough from jail to go to the funeral and to go to the hospital when they pulled the plug on her. And I remember, um, you know, I can remember, 
when everybody, like I wasn't on drugs. I couldn't blame it on it because I wasn't on drugs. Now, granted, I didn't have a relationship with her, you know, that short period of time that she was alive. But still, you would think as a human being, that's your blood, that's your kid, you know, even if I wasn't in love with the girl. I mean, I've told, my, I've told myself it was all kinds of stuff, but truly I believe that um, after having other kids, you know, it's just a lot of just uh, deep-rooted self-centeredness, man. You know what I mean? Like the inability, such, such deep-rooted self-centeredness that the ability to even connect with my own kid emotionally, it's almost an incapability. You know what I mean? And uh, they all start crying. The priest read his rights over her, and they all put the pull plug. Her body went from, like, uh, our, our regular color to gray. Like, psh, psh, took her last breath. And everybody started crying instantly, and I didn't shed a tear. I had no feeling, no emotion at all about it. I mean, it was nuts. And, I, I mean, I was thinking really, like, how am I going to get this pack of cigarettes back into the jail? I mean, that's crazy to me, right? Yeah. And that stuff made me super ashamed for a long, long time because I was like, dude, you're a subhuman. Like, you're, like, demonic. Something's wrong with you. You have the devil in you. You're a terrible, terrible, terrible person, you know? And I just didn't understand that I was a sick. Right. I was a sick person mentally, you know? And, um, but I didn't know that then <laughs> again, you know, so I'm just like, you're the worst. Look at you. Don't even care about your own kid died. Like, well, who does that? That changes people's whole existence for the rest of their path. And you, it was like nothing, you know, like, shh, you know, um, and so, uh, I don't know. I ended up like in that period of time, all the locked up stuff then came at me with, um, you know, my son's name he's the one that's 21 now and um she came to me a couple times while i was locked up like you know you can sign your rights over you want to owe this back child support because i had back child support and stuff and i wouldn't do it for a long time i finally was just like all right whatever you know we'll just get rid of that i'm not gonna be a dad anyway i'm probably not even gonna stay alive you know and uh so anyway then that was like another thing that happened you know obviously more shame more guilt more what is wrong with you? You're completely hopeless. Like, you know, were you just putting it away though on a daily basis and not even thinking about it or, or um, know, no, I mean, in all of... honesty, uh, I mean, in all honesty, I'm still like that now, right? I'm saying I can still easily be that way. I just act differently. <laughs> if I'm a type of person that that self-centeredness is a part of who I am. It's not that I'm okay with it. I just take different actions. I act on different principles. My thinking is different. I have the ability to care more about people now, more than ever have before. But it's still like that out of sight, out of mind. Like if I'm going through a breakup, like I'm going through a breakup now. I've been broke up with my girl for six months and we were together like four years. Well, she moved to Westchester, right, from in this area. Well, that's been easy to get over it because he's out of my, I never see her nothing. You see what I'm saying? Right. But if she was here, then I would be all uh, messed up and I have to get back with her probably like I did multiple times. But because she's out of my mind, out of my sight, it just, it doesn't, you know, like it doesn't affect me. It's just the way that my mind works. You know, sometimes that works in my favor and sometimes it prevents me from being able to enjoy other things that a lot of other people get to enjoy. You know, I mean, I'm just kind of grateful to still be breathing. You know what I mean? So I don't got time for all that stuff. You know what I mean? That I mean, I, did you ever reside your fa yourself to the fact that you you might not live long? Oh, uh, well, so what happened to me was another thing that you have to understand, too, is uh, my experiences. 
I haven't been sober since 19. I'm 42 now, you know, right? So that's what, 23 years? And I mean, I've had a year sober seven times, right? I've had almost two years sober three times. And you had five years. And I had five and a half years last time, and now I got three. What I'm saying is, for a guy like me, that's some very successful numbers, right? People that live like I live, they don't stay alive, right? So between AA and God, you know, hooking me up with both incarceration and AA, it's caused me to to sustain my life, you know, because everything I just told you, that was like the best parts of it, right? Right. So that's not even the darkness. Right. You understand what I'm saying? The what is turned into now. You know what I mean? Like the last relapse and the time before that. You know what I mean? Um, you know, so uh, I don't know. I, I ended up getting locked up and doing that 36-month period of time. And I got a girl pregnant before I got in there, uh, before I got locked up. And um, and so when I was in there this time, I had kind of uh, – I was starting to really give up on the idea that AA would work for me because, like, I can't stay sober. It seems like I can get periods of sobriety, um, but I can't find permanent sobriety. I don't know. All these other people seem to be finding it, and it doesn't seem to be happening for me. And a big thing was I didn't realize, too, was, um, you know, there was a ma- massive amounts of decisions that I would make in my sobriety that would cause it to be sobriety to be intolerable. I would, you know what I mean? So that's what I learned. I only learned that, you know what I mean? I learned that I'm not only powerless over the way that I drink and drug when I start, I can't stop, but I'm powerless over the fact that if I don't treat my alcoholism by making some spiritual decisions, by practicing some spiritual principles and applying these to my life and the way I make choices, what's going to happen is I'm going to drink again. It doesn't matter how bad it was last time. It's an inevitable thing and it will happen for me till the day that I die, right? I will always drink again if I don't do what I'm supposed to be doing. It's that simple. You know what I mean? Um, And maybe those different spiritual principles can be practiced in one form or another. Like for you, you might not have to do AA, but you got to do some spiritual stuff. You're going to have to give back. You're going to have to get outside of yourself. If you suffer from what I suffer from, you're going to have to do some service work and get outside of yourself and do some things for some other people. Because if I stay consumed with myself, nothing will ever be good enough. And I eventually will have so much self-pity, such a discontentment with life that the only thing that seemed to be able to relieve that would be the delusional idea. You know what I mean? That- so, so when you go through these long stretches, what what are, are the things that, is it just split second decisions or is it just, you know, having a mm. bad day that causes a relapse or? Um. Well, no, I think that really for me, is I think that some people can be, man, I've had massive interference in a good way. So like my story, I don't know too many people that got my story. I have the ability through my experience to help massive amounts of people. I mean, there's just so many different aspects of ways that I can help people, you know? And I just think that, that for a long time, I would just like be like, what's wrong with me that's different than this other guy that's staying sober. He's been sober like since I got here. And he stayed sober. Why him, not me, yada, yada, yada. And at this point now, I'm just so wrapped up in gratitude with that I'm not in prison, that I am breathing, that I'm, I can't believe the life I have. I'm a miracle. Like my, I'm a miracle of God. That's what I am, right? Like I've done everything to mess it up and my life is still, it's crazy. I mean, right? Um, and so it's kind of like now it's this is my story. You got your story. 
that's not my story. You have a different one. Right. So I accept my story. And it's okay. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, dude, my story is a beastie story. Right? Like, you understand? Like, I can help you. I can help you with massive different things. I can help you find a relationship with the one who created everything in life. That's crazy to me. Right? Now, you have to believe yourself. But I can share stuff with you that's going to make you think, he's not bullshitting. Like, this really happened, you know? I mean, you don't have time for that. But I'm saying, like, I've been super blessed by God, right, to be able to carry this message. Not the AA message, but Christ and God and, you know what I mean, and the Bible and all, just so much stuff. You know, from my parents raised me. This was the story. Like, this is the tool. This is how the instrument was forged. You get what I'm saying? Right. Um, And I'm saying I I don't always live up to that standard. I don't always show my gratitude to him. So that causes a lot of shame in my life. I get caught up in making money a lot you're right that's a big thing huge net thing now and that's what you say what happens that those long stretches i think what happens is so while i would progressively get worse every time i would pick up again when i would get sober i would progressively get better than i had ever been too so i had learned new aspects of life I, it's my experience with new aspects of life and living for the alcoholic you got new aspects of alcoholism that you've never dealt with before. Right. So you're going out, even though it's bad, you're getting more experiences. Right. And I mean, you if know. you live through it, then it's it's awesome. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Um, you know, but it is what it is. It's not like I can't change it. Right. So what I'm saying is things make a lot more sense now um, than they really ever did before. Uh, like when I started making money. Like a big problem with me for those AA for those years is so I wouldn't work. I just didn't, you know, I was a, had felonies. I never learned how to work. I would serve food. Who wants to do that? I would try trade work, and then I don't know nothing about mechanical. Hands Come and, on, man. I, right. You know what I mean? Like, you know, so like – like that would be just a straight insecurity. Like I'm wreck city. Like I and I'm not a wreck toy, right? Like I get offended by that stuff. If I'm working with a bunch of people that know how to work and do mechanically inclined people and they know they're really good at the job. I want to be good at my job too, but I'm not good at nothing. Right. right? So like work sucked. Right. It wasn't like something that I looked forward to doing. Uh, I wasn't good at anything. I didn't know anything about anything about that made me income. Um, and so I was always like, you know, crap stuff, you know, $10 an hour, $11 an hour doing concrete or some kind of crazy construction crap. And I was always in a situation economically where I was always like, this is, this is terrible. You know, I can't get nowhere in life. Then I wasn't good with the little money I had. So then what happened is that I would get in relationships with people that, would make my life more comfortable. And so I wasn't being honest and I was being, you know, manipulative and using them up and I was being super irresponsible, you know? Uh, so that had a lot of, to do with, you know, my, you know, drinking again and stuff. You know what I mean? I, I was just continuing to be selfish while not drinking, not using drugs. I would continue to practice selfish behavior and be self-centered and, you know, uh, let fear really dictate the decisions I made in life. And, um, you know, I was not self-supporting. And, I mean, there was just massive things that I lacked um, that I learned, you know, and that's what I tell guys now is, you know, drugs and alcohol has never been the problem that I suffer from until I use it. That's just one aspect of what I suffer from with my alcoholism, the mental obsession. You know, the mental obsession is the thing that causes me to, you know what I mean, like not, you know, change my clothes, uh, not brush my teeth, not take showers, not eat food, not sleep. You know what I mean? Not go to work, not be able to take care of my bills. That's because of the mental obsession. I'm so obsessed that I don't care about anything else going on in my mind. There's nothing else. 
right? So all this stuff gets neglected. But that's just one aspect of my alcoholism. That's just one aspect. I cannot stay sober based on that one aspect of my alcoholism because that will change after a period of sobriety. My mind will start playing tricks on me. So then I got to do something, right? I thought that my life was so bad that when bad days come, I will just really think about it and I will get through that bad day. Right. You know, but, you know, that's not the way it is. I've never drank without having resentment, ever. Right. Every time I've ever drank, which is more times than I can remember, it was always fueled by some sort of resentment towards someone that did me wrong. And that could have been something made up in my own mind. Right. It certainly didn't validate what was about to take place. Right. You know, but I didn't know that then. I've learned that through my experience. And so with drugs and alcohol not being my problem, what is? Well, that's what we just talked about. Fear and selfishness and self-centered thinking and delusional thoughts and self-seeking behaviors and thoughts and the resentments, they don't dictate how I make choices. They do not run my life today. I'm right. free from those things. Now I can be bound up again anytime I choose to if I want to just go to work and work a lot. Well, guess what? I'm going to be a real asshole. You know what I mean? I'm going to be treating people like real shit. And it don't matter how much money I make, it'll never be enough. Right. You know, and um, and that's what I say to these guys, you know, um, you know, the the pain, the pain of any solution that I'm using in my life to find relief has got to become greater than the relief that that solution gives me. It's only until that time comes in my life will I be looking and opening my mind to practice some things that I don't even think are going to work. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So the pain of that solution has got to be you know, greater than the relief it's given me. If it's given me more relief, then I'm probably going to deal with the pain that it brings because I'm getting the relief. And my experience has been every time I've gone back to drinking and using drugs is less relief and just more pain. So now it's just, I mean, it's so, uh, like for me, the last couple of times, um, I end up getting locked up, going back to where we left off. Um, big turning point in my life was when I really gave my life to Christ. For me, I'm saying, you know, not that everybody wants to talk about that issue, right? I'm not here pushing anything because you don't got to believe what I believe in order to the solution that works in my life to work for you. Right. Um, but what I am saying is those spiritual principles did put me in a position where I was ready to see more. And that's what I did. And that's what the book talks about. And so I was always a person with massive contempt for whatever you were doing. And I would never even try to do what you were doing, even though you were getting better results than me. You know what I mean? And so for me, uh, when I got locked up that one time, when I got pregnant before I got locked up, I had something happened and I gave up on AA and I had a super crazy spiritual experience. I mean, I just did. And there was a lot of things that happened, you know, that we don't have time to talk about, but they were like crazy. I'll never forget it in my whole life. I'm talking about supernatural, crazy answers to prayer, like direct stuff. You know, like, I don't know, probably like six or seven or eight different super crazy powerful spiritual things that prove to me that, you know, God is who he says he is, right? And I can have a relationship with him. Um, and then I ended up, well, from that, though, is I was like, thought God was telling me when I get out, no AA, just me. <laughs> so then what I did was I got involved in the church and I was super crazy involved. I got married right when I got out to her and um we had another son and i got married and um i mean i was doing church 
like an alcoholic, <laughs> like four days a week and stuff, going and feeding homeless people downtown, you know, Bible in my hand, laying hands on people, you know, Bible studies, you know, some drug addict stuff that the church had going on too, you know, yada, 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 church and all that. And I was like loving it, uh, just real manic about it. We'll just say that, yeah. you know, whatever. It's just like, this is not a different manifestation. Right. I mean, really, that's what I realized. Like, dude, uh, you know what I mean? I don't have to do all this to prove that I believe, um, not to say that he doesn't want me whatever i don't know what all that is right i'm saying i'm not really a good example of anything that i believe to be honest with you i would never say that i'm a good example of aa or like a christian for sure uh i do believe it though right <laughs> i believe it works i believe if you apply either thing that your life is going to get exponentially better right um you know but for me um i just it was just a different lie At, in the end erica started drinking wine in my house and, um, you know, I started getting resentful about it. I couldn't believe she, you know, knows me. Like, you're, are you, what are you doing? Like, you want, like, okay. So I was like, super, when I look back, I was super resentful about her drinking in my house. Um, and her family, they're real, like, you know, kind of rich people. They had a house down to Hilton Head and they had a house out here and, like, they would drink every weekend, but then they would, you know, her dad was, like, the head of the neurology department at UC Hospital. I mean, that's how big they were. And, like, they would drink and, like, it would make me, like, super uncomfortable, first of all. And then I felt like I wasn't good enough because right. I could drink, you know what I mean? And so slowly over a period of time, um, I just decided, you know what, I think I can drink. I mean, I got Jesus now. I got my kids. I'm married. I'm actually helping a woman with pay bills. You know, I go to work every day. And even the Bible. I mean, that's the thing about alcoholism, man. It's so crazy. Is It's just so real uh, disrespectful. We'll just say that, right? Um, because it'll use the Bible against me. <laughs> You know, and that's what it said. You know what I mean? That I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things are new. And that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Therefore, based on those two scriptures, I could probably drink a couple of beers and watch UK. You know what I mean? With my wife's and that's family. What you, and that's what you did? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know. And it didn't work out. No, no. I ended up... Um, well, I drank a pint of uh, vodka in mixed drinks. And I, if I drank a pint... And I drink mixed drinks. I'm not alcoholic for sure. <laughs> and uh, and I didn't drink anymore. I didn't even get drunk. But inside, I was going crazy because she was super scared, rightfully so. And we drank with her sister and her and her brother-in-law, her sister's husband. And I just drank that. And I was going nuts. I mean, I'd never really ever drank and not got drunk and not went all out. Right. Right. And now I was for the sake of my family. And... Uh, so I didn't drink anything after that night. That was Saturday night. And then I didn't drink. And then we were allowed to drink on Friday. We were going to go over her mom and dad's and we were going to have some drinks and watch the UK game, you know. And uh, I didn't drink all week. And it was like super crazy. It was so difficult. It was the most craziest. I never did anything else. And I mean, I went through the motions outside like everything was normal. But inside, I was just so obsessed. I mean, I was just, I, every, it was fighting. It was everything. Chomping at the bit, not to yeah, drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just fighting, not even just to drink, but not to just go crazy. Like, just not to go do what I wanted. Uh, chemicals. And, uh, uh, you know, I can't, you know, but I can wait until Friday. And so then I ended up, um, they had like a 1.75 liter of vodka there. And I was like, here's the plan. I'm going to let them make my first couple mixed drinks. Once they see I'm not crazy, I'll just make my own drinks. You know what I mean? 
And the next thing I know, it's like, I don't know, three or four in the morning, and I'm downstairs in their basement on the couch, woke up out of a blackout, pissed my pants on their couch, and her dad's on guard next to me. And I was like, dude, no way. I cannot believe it, you know? And um, and so they tried to make light of it the next day, and they were like, so they said that, that so they take the keys when they're drinking, you know, they can't take everybody's keys so nobody can drive, and I wanted my keys to go to the bar. Her mom wouldn't give me the keys, and I almost punched her mom. Ugh. Yeah, and, I, and they was like, you just kept saying, this is who I am. <laughs> Which made perfect sense to me, you know what I mean? Because like whenever I would be sober, a lot of times I felt like I wasn't being who I really am, you know. And I realized now that's kind of like because there was really no psychic change ever took place. I I believe that's still still who I was, you know. Now that I have had a psychic change, I'm no longer really comfortable being that person anymore. That's not who I am anymore. You know, mm -hmm. I can still do it, but it's definitely not going to be with any comfort. Or right. like getting some sort of relief or having some peace. There used to be a time when I would relapse and I'd be like, oh, man, it feels so good to be myself again. No, that's not what happens now. You know, that's so. good. Yeah. How's the relationship with your family? Like my mom and dad? Yeah. Oh, they're good. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah, they're they're awesome people. I mean, my dad still, you know, he's it's hard to get along with uh, for me, you know, uh, personally. He just knows everything. He just thinks he knows everything. And he's just the kind of personality that you can't really think differently than him. If so, it'll make you feel awkward. You can't have a different opinion than him and really be around him. You know, so right. that's a difficult thing to deal with. But my mom, she's amazing. She's an amazing person. Yeah. And life is good today. Yeah, life is real good. Life is nuts. Um, making money, you know what I mean? Just having success. Finally, I've been I've been selling cars for like eight years now, you know, and it's just a crazy, you know, just a crazy, crazy uh, country. We'll just say that. I mean, a blessed situation. I mean, I don't know exactly how it is in other places, but I'm a five-time felon with no work history. You know what I mean? That makes six figures. That's just nuts, like well into six figures. I mean, to me, that's crazy. And then finally, there's something, and God worked that out. I mean, that's a story in itself. You know what I mean? How he did that. Like, it's just nuts to me, you know? Um, and that's what I depend on. But that came from spiritual principles. Like, you know, when, when I look back on how I got into the business, that wasn't like I made it happen, you know? There were some things that I did that I believe were key um, as, as a result of surrendering. Uh, like some honesty stuff, um, you know, and then just, you know, I guess taking a chance or whatever. And um, and then once that started happening with the five and a half years thing, you know, then they're presenting new, new issues. You know, you got new issues now to deal with that you never dealt with before. So you might be have overcome some other areas, but now you got some new issues. So you're going to have to overcome those and learn how to overcome those as well. Well, it's a hell of a story, and uh, I mean, you've had a lot of help, but you've also persevered yourself, you know, yeah. too. So, and and I like you said, I I know you got the the ability and the background to help just so many, so many different types of people, and I know um, that you're doing that, and I know it energizes you. So, uh, and I appreciate you coming and spending some time here, man. It um, uh, means a lot to me. It's good to see you, and. Uh, no, I appreciate your friendship. Hope we uh, continue the march, man. That's all we can do. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for listening. 
I want to thank everyone that makes this show possible. Production by Gwen Sound, artwork by Neltner Smallbatch, and photography by John Willis and Lindsay Steinhauser. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. Visit our website for more information at stigmatizedpodcast.com.